Chapter 32. Why did I let her get away? I was depressed. For the first time in my entire life, I was overcome with self-pity. It's an awful feeling. It shrinks you to a tiny, bent-over, decrepit version of yourself. Your face turns into the mask of a beggar who's pleading for a piece of his lost dignity. You start feeling cursed and condemned, robbed of the gifts of life and devoured by indulgence. You want to scream. You want to whine. Why me? Why me? I picked up the cup of hot black coffee and drank it like vodka in one long swallow. It burned my mouth, but I loved the pain and relished the bitter taste of it. I ordered a second cup and drank it the same way. There where I was, sitting at the cafe table, feeling sorry for myself, filling up the black hole of my low self-esteem with bitter coffee. All of a sudden, I looked up and I discovered her standing in the corner of the train station, observing me from a distance like a lepidopterist studying a cocoon that is about to transform into a rare butterfly. Through the bustling crowds, we lock our eyes together almost hypnotically. PA announcement after announcement comes up over the station's loudspeaker system as the dispatcher's almost inhumane voice sends travelers to platforms where trains are departing for destinations throughout North America. Except us. We are the only two people going nowhere, frozen in time. Then she starts slowly walking towards me. Almost reluctantly, she makes her way by step through the throngs of people disappearing behind the flow of bodies like a phantom, then reappearing closer and closer. She finally arrives at my cafe table and studies my bandages for a long moment. She confirms to herself that it is indeed me. Suddenly, the movie theater in my head is open for business again. What's playing is an old classic in black and white that's starring her and me. Flickering on the screen is a love scene set in a gorgeous railway station with plenty of extras running around. That movie in my mind suddenly goes dark because she sits down at the table and bursts into laughter. I've heard that laughter before. It's a delightful mix, two parts curiosity and one part fear. It resounds with the joy of discovery, the true music of life. I can't take my eyes off of her. I didn't expect to see you again, she says. I've thought about you every day since then, I say. My voice void of any confidence. Long silence happens naturally. It's a miracle that we meet again, don't you think? I continue with difficulty. I just can't believe it, she says. Look, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I understand. No, you don't. Okay, I don't. That's it. We're still not talking. I took $300 cash out of my wallet and put it in front of her on the table. I think you forgot this the last time. I feel awful about the money. I'm sorry if I offended you. Hey, I liked it. I'm ashamed and I can't explain. I understand. No, you don't. Still, I can't explain. You don't have to. Can I get you something? No, thanks. Did you have an accident? Sort of. I think I'd better go. Wait, can I see you again? No. We have to meet again. This only comes once in a lifetime, you know it. Luke, I'm, you remembered my name. I'm Louisa. Nice to see you again, Louisa. Nice to see you too. She abruptly stands up, puts the money in her handbag. 
I'm leaving for New York today, she finally says after a long pause. Meet me Friday, say noon, in front of the Roger Smith Hotel, 47th and Lexington Ave. 47th and Lex? Yes, at 12 o'clock. Okay, that's great, Louisa. See you then. She's gone in the blink of an eye. I stand up, overwhelmed by my emotions, almost unable to breathe, trying to follow her with my eyes. But she disappears too fast. I'm still standing there when Nicholas appears out of nowhere with a cup of coffee in his hand. Hey, I was looking for you. Black coffee. Sorry, it's not as hot as you like. I was on the phone for a long time. Let's get a cab. They're expecting us at the post right away. Chapter 33. That Friday, mid-noon, I was standing on the windy sidewalk at 47th and Lexington. It was chillingly cold. I'd spent the entire night chain-smoking and staring at the moon like a lost wolf. I'd hardly wait to meet her again. My sleep-deprived body was trembling under my leather jacket. The wounds and the bruises on my face and head were sore and biting into my skin. I had taken off my bandages that night, and now my bruises were exposed to the cold gusts of Manhattan for the first time. It was terribly painful, but the adrenaline was kicking me so high that I couldn't feel anything except the heat wave that was running through my bloodstream. Turn the warm air coming out of my mouth into a cumulus of curling steam. It looked like I was shaking from the cold, but my shaking was really due to my heart pounding like a church bell inside my chest. She arrived a half hour late, pulling up to the sidewalk in front of the hotel in a white vintage Corvette with tinted black windows. She lowers the passenger window to say hello. I barely recognize her. She's wearing large sunglasses and a brown fur coat. The short skirt exposes her stunning legs just enough to make my mind scream. I get in, and she drives down Lexington toward the Chrysler building. I say hi. She says hi back. Nothing else. No other words are spoken. No apologies for being late. No, it's cold. No, it was the traffic. No, the weather is vile. No, how was your day? No, thanks for asking, how was yours? None of that crap. She simply looks at me and smiles, and I smile back at her. And our smiles say it's so great to be together again. Life suddenly seems easier. Living is lighthearted, more exciting. We continue smiling and that turns into giggling. She's checking out my bruises. I'm checking out her movie star outfit. We both think the other looks hilarious. I missed you all night long, she says. Me too. Suddenly, I don't need words to feel comfortable or hide behind. Me neither. Want to go somewhere special? Where? Away from all this mayhem. Just you and me? Just you and me. Does such a place exist? Oh, just wait until you see it. Our worlds are locked in perfect harmony. I know it. She knows it, too. We both know it at the same moment. All of a sudden, I want to burst out singing. Somehow she reads my mind. I want to sing too, she says. I look at her in awe. Isn't that what you were thinking, she asks. It's not safe to think around you, I say. No safety at all. There are no barriers in between us. Don't you feel it? I do. He's scared. I don't know. It feels like a tsunami is washing me away. I have no more control. 
Oh, God, me too, she says, erupting into sparkling laughter. She slides CD into the car stereo. She sings the opening lines along with recordings. I join her at the chorus and start lip-syncing with her, miming, doing moves, pretending I'm both the guitarist and the lead singer. I'm being free and foolish just like when I was a teenager. She laughs again, even louder. Seeing the joy on her face makes all my fears vanish. Oh, God, I love being a clown for her. I rest my hand on her thigh. She doesn't say anything. She only covers my hand with hers. I lean over and kiss her hand. She caresses my hair. We've left Manhattan and she's driving fast, way too fast. Faster than my mind is racing along. The Long Island countryside is flying by us. So are the clouds above. I look up and see her dazzling profile eclipsing the setting sun. She's as powerful and desirable as an Egyptian goddess. Damn. I am already so in love with this woman that I would become a fruit tree for her. I would become a hot stone lying on her back. I would embrace her and have that embrace forever frozen in a stone statue by Rodin. Maybe they'd put our statue in one of those beautiful Parisian parks where people can walk around and look up at us. Lovers would kiss next to us. Kids would play at our feet. Elderly people would rest on the bench near the pedestal where we would stand rain or shine. Through cold winter days forever warm in each other's embrace. Suddenly it dawns on me that I am not myself anymore. That I have never truly loved anyone before despite how much love I felt for other women in my life. I've always judged them. I felt more trapped than liberated by them. How come now I feel more fulfilled? Some sort of a deep void has been replenished. Trapped, fulfilled, liberated, frightened. How come all these emotions are happening in me at the same time? Why did I always have an overwhelming need to keep a piece of my own identity free? Unattached to anybody or anything. Free of engagements, commitments, and promises. I've never given in all the way. What have I been scared of? With her, it's different. For the first time in my life, I am hijacked by real love, condemned to live or die in her arms. She looks into my defenseless eyes and reads my entire story in one glimpse. Chapter 34. She parks the Corvette by the sea next to an empty stretch of sandy beach near Montauk where an abandoned pier juts out from the coast into the water. As our bare feet touch the white sand, she starts running along the beach, flying like a gazelle. I follow her as best I can. We're running like two wild animals tasting their newly found freedom. She's giggling, laughing, screaming, making all kinds of funny sounds. She invites me tests me, challenges me. I am running as best I can, but awkwardly like a flat-footed bear. My body still hurts everywhere, but the pain doesn't matter anymore. The only sounds I make are chortles, burps, and hisses. She gets to the empty pier and climbs up on the top of the wooden structure that has been worn down by the salty air. I finally make my way to the pier, and as soon as I climb up there, she starts slowly walking backwards like a cornered deer, teasing me to catch her. I move toward her, step by step, because I am completely out of breath after the beach run. I reach her at the end of the pier, and when I try to take a deep breath, 
She kisses me hard and pushes her tongue inside my mouth. Reflections of diffused pink and orange from the setting sun are engulfing the ocean with a blanket of sparkling light. It's a postcard paradise. The last rays of the sun are bouncing off the water, heating up our bodies and burning our lips. She's kissing me differently than before. It's not soft, nor even gentle. Her arms tighten around my neck and one of her legs wraps itself around the back of my knee like an octopus trying to squeeze the last breath of life out of me. Her grip is so tight that her strength stuns me. She possesses me totally as I let myself disintegrate in her arms. All the while, her eyes are smiling at me, comforting me, convincing me to let go, to give in all the way. She goes down on her knees and brings me along with her. While still kissing me, she unbuttons her blouse and then opens my shirt. Her breasts touch my chest. An electrical shock of love surges through our bodies. I must have traveled through the pier and into the ocean because without any warning, a frothy wave rises up and crashes over the railing, soaking us from head to toe. We tremble from the cold water. We laugh. We squeeze each other even harder and drop under the wooden planks as one. We're kissing and rolling all over the pier and don't notice or care about the storm that's approaching. Out of nowhere, the wind comes up and massive waves start swelling and breaking against the coast. The setting sun is suddenly blanketed by dark clouds that appear above our heads, leaving us at the mercy of the invading winds that batter the pier. Louisa doesn't care about any of it. She keeps kissing me, laughing, kissing me more as we are getting soaked from the malevolent waves. As the pillars of the pier get pounded by heavier and heavier waves, they start groaning, making a frightful sound. The entire wooden structure is vibrating violently. It doesn't scare her in the least. She continues smiling at me, kissing me, loving me. The pier is now rocking so much that I get seasick. Her kisses are unstoppable and I'm breathless. Then a gigantic wave cascades over the pier and separates us. I'm just able to grab the railing which saves me from being washed into the ocean. The same wave takes her away from me, pins her down at the end of the pier. We're a good 20 feet apart from each other and the storm is hammering down on us with all its fury. Hey Luke, Come to me, she says. I'm terrified. Don't be afraid, Luke, she continues reassuringly. Come closer. I carefully move toward her. When I get near, I try to grab her hand and pull her up to me. But instead, she grabs my hand and pulls me toward her. The wind is howling madly, battering our faces and whipping her hair around. Still, she is unafraid. Her face is calm, determined, serene. She even looks happy being out in the tempest. She hugs me and starts laughing again. Somehow her laughter is louder than the sound of the crashing waves. I've never heard laughter so full of life, so gallant, so desperate all at the same time. She puts her head on my chest, kisses my neck, and looks at me in peace. I feel bigger than the waves, empowered by her fearlessness. We cling to one another at the edge of the pier, kissing as the storm pounds us. I feel her unbreakable spirit as she gazes into my eyes. Amazingly, I become unafraid too. 
Mesmerized by her courage, I cover her head with uncountable kisses. The storm seems to be running out of rage. It moves off the coast slowly, defeated and humiliated. As quickly as it appeared, it's gone. And the pink horizon comes back again as if nothing had interrupted our paradise. Exhausted, we drop under the deck of the pier. She lies next to me with her eyes closed, moaning about bruises on her hands. I kiss her hands and discover that they're soft and fragile. Where does that strength come from? Where does that courage come from? She's helped me get over my own fears. She's made me brave. Now I'm ready to die for her. She opens her eyes and looks at me. You're the most handsome man I've ever met. Me? Yes, you're absolutely gorgeous. Wait a minute. I've never said those words to any man in my life. Now, you wait a minute. I'm so lucky to have you. Wait, wait. There's some confusion here. It's me who's lucky, you understand? It's you who's the goddess here. Your beauty inspires me. What? Oh, God, me? I'm so... Just look at you. You take my breath away. You make me want to scream. Scream? Yes, like this. She screams. Her screams scare off all the seagulls that had come to rest on the pier after the storm. The birds take off in terror and she bursts into joyful laughter. I join in with her, unable to say all the things I want to say to her. There's so many things I want her to understand. Say them. Come on, speak up. I want to hear them. But I can't find the words, those traitors. They have betrayed me when I needed them most. All the words have evaporated without warning. They left, I tell her. Who? The words. She laughs. You want to know how much I want you, I ask. Yeah. I climb on top of the railing at the end of the pier. I look at her and jump over the edge. As I am plunging down into the water, I can see her eyes full of disbelief. The water is stunningly cold. As I come up to the surface, I see her jump into the ocean not far from me. She pops up, shivering like I am. We hold each other and start kissing again with our trembling lips. Chapter 35 It's already dark when we arrive at Martha's Inn, a quaint bed and breakfast on the outskirts of Montauk. Luis has passed out in the passenger seat. I park her Corvette near the neon sign that says Vacancy. Clothes are wet, cold and exhausted. I ring the antique doorbell on the porch. Coming, coming, wait a minute, calls out a forceful female voice with a distinct Polish accent. Please hurry, we're freezing out here, I say. A stout, middle-aged woman wearing a bathrobe with her hair and curlers opens the door. Come in. Welcome. My name is Mrs. Ladowski, but everyone just calls me Martha. You need a room for the night? Yes, do you have one available? Are you kidding? This is the off-season. We're practically empty. Choose anyone you want. Look, Martha, I explain in a whisper. My friend is asleep in the car. I want to carry her to the room without waking her up. Like the experienced hostess that she is, Martha understands the situation immediately and lowers her voice. Oh, I apologize, sir. I used to be an opera singer. My vocal cords are naturally strong. But see, I can speak in a whisper, too. We won't disturb her, okay? I'd really appreciate it. 
As I'm carrying Luisa upstairs, Martha is guiding us with a ring full of keys in her hand. She whispers to me over her shoulder, Do you want a room with a view of the garden or the ocean? One has the biggest bath. That would be the jasmine room. Thank you. Martha opens the front door of the jasmine room and whispers, Would you like some hot tea? Yes, please. Okay, I'll be back in a minute. I gently lay Luisa on the bed and kiss her moist lips. She opens her eyes a little. Make love to me, she says. You mean right now? Yes, right now. Martha's coming up with hot tea any moment. So? She slips off her wet dress in one swift move and lies on the bed in her bra and panties. Her glowing body is radiating desire. Her playful eyes challenge me to act there and then. Take it all off, she orders. As I try to unhook her bra, she says, not that way. Take it off with your teeth. She sits up on the bed and I go around and try biting into her bra. No matter what I do, the damn bra doesn't budge. I can't unfasten it. Not that way. She turns to me and helps me lift the front of the bra with my mouth. As her breasts pop out, she bursts into laughter. My awkward moves are hilarious manifestations of my desire for her. She can't stop laughing. She stands up. Keep going, she says. I kneel down in front of her, grab her panties with my teeth and start pulling them down. They don't move. I quickly discover that behind her back she's holding her panties with her free hand. Seeing my helplessness prolongs her laughter for another couple of minutes. Finally, I'm figuring out her game. Her playfulness and exultation are contagious. I'm discovering an anarchistic tribal freedom that's almost Amazonian. I get up and take off all my clothes except my underwear. I'm ready. Let's run. Run where? To the castle. The castle? The one where no one can reach except us. Follow me. We start running around the room in circles. We jump on the bed. We jump off the bed. We get up the chair. We get down from the chair, trying to catch her. And even though she's exhausted, she's always one step ahead of me, giggling all the while. I haven't jumped this much since I was in middle school. Wait, she says. It's not finished. What else do you want me to do? Let's climb up now. What? Up to the top of the castle to get the magic wand. She gets up on the desk. I am one step behind on the chair when Martha knocks on the door. Immediately we jump into the bed and cover ourselves with a quilt. Louisa closes her eyes pretending to be asleep and buries her head in the pillow. Come in, Martha, I say with a fake tired voice. Martha quietly enters and carefully places the tray with teapot and cups on a table. As she's leaving, Martha turns at the doorway and whispers, Have a good night. If you need anything else, just dial nine. The phone is always next to me. Thanks, Martha. I think we'll be just fine, I whisper back to her. Yes, she says with a little wink. I know you will. As soon as Martha shuts the door, Louisa pulls her closed hand out from under the quilt and holds it over my head. Open it. What for? It's the magic wand. Gently, I open her hand. Inside are her panties. I feel my heartbeat quicken next to her nakedness. She opens her thighs slightly. Touch me, she whispers. Softly, gently. I start touching her and her body starts moving under the quilt in a slow dance. Her swollen red lips are radiating heat. 
I start caressing her all over her body with my lips and tongue. Luke, how did I ever live without you? Keep talking. I love your lips. I love your fingers. Oh, Louisa. Thank you for being patient with me, Luke. I've waited for you all my life. And I've waited for you. I'm happy for the first time ever. Truly happy. I don't want this moment to end. We go on kissing and touching. Our breathing gets heavier. Our lovemaking is now in full crescendo. Abruptly, she grabs my head and gazes straight into my eyes. Her look penetrates me as she climaxes. She screams as she comes. It's a sound I've never heard before. It's laughter and weeping mixed with hope and anguish. It's pleasure and pain mixed with gratitude and anger. Exhausted, overwhelmed, burned out like a meteor crashing into the earth, I collapse next to her. When I wake up the next day, Louisa is gone. I put my clothes on and hurry downstairs. As Martha sees me, she says, she took the car and left. I mumble to myself, again? I'm in shock, speechless, staring at Martha with a vacant look. Finally, I ask her, did she say anything? Did she leave me a note? Yes, as a matter of fact, she did. Martha hands me a carefully folded piece of hotel stationery. Telephone number is inscribed on it like figures chiseled into marble at the Lincoln Memorial. I smile. Martha smiles, too. I'll take you to the train station. <laughs>